Okay, we are up to the Mem Gimel Amit Beis. Bottom line, Amr Rav Yitzchak, Amr Rav Yechem, Rishon Rav Loza Ben Yaakov. Another teaching of Rav Loza Ben Yaakov: Meis Tayfus Arba Amis Latuma. That a Meis is Tayfus Arba Amis Latuma. What, what this means is like this: Technically, on a biblical level, if there's a dead body right here, I could stand right next to it. There's no, there's no tuma. The tuma doesn't go out. The tuma goes up. Right, that's called oil, and if you touch it, you're definitely tummy. But the whole concept that you can't even be within Dalit Amis, that's a rabbinic concept, and it's very simple of why they did that. They're afraid that if there's a dead body over here, right? So technically, again, as long as I don't go over it, as long as I don't touch it, I'm not tummy. They were afraid what's going to end up happening is you're going to stand too close. You're going to put your hand over it. It's very simple. It's a rabbinic tuma. So again, the Gemara is starting off by saying that there's a rabbinic tuma to be within Dalit Amis of a dead body because we're afraid if you're so close, you might put your hand over it. Very simple. Vitana tuna, and the Braisa continues. So what they would do is like this. Because the concept that Dalit Amis is a rabbinic tuma, lest you put your hand over it, they used to have these catacombs. Think of it as, you know what, actually, if you've ever been to Tzvat, so sometimes Tzvat, you'll have the Kfarim, and then sometimes you have these little caves, yeah? So there'll be like a pit, you'll jump down into the pit, and then it'll open up into a cave, and then the, the body is in the cave. The question is, are you allowed to stand in the pit that's opening to the cave? So the halacha is yes. I, it's within Dalad Amis. The answer is, because it's a different domain, Chazal, we're not as concerned. Again, the whole Daladamas thing is rabbinic. And they were like, listen, you're not even in the same, like, literally, like, that's in a cave, this is outside of the cave. Eh, it's fine. So, if you're in the chotzer, which is the pit, right outside of the cave, then, so again, so imagine this is, the, this is the cave, and then right outside of it you have that pit. So you're in the pit, that's fine. Now the question is, how big does the pit have to be to be considered an official different domain? What if the pit is two inches? Obviously, two inches is not going to be enough. So the Gemara says, Bishamay says the pit has to be Arba Amis. It has to be Dalad Amis. Meaning, if the pit is less than four by four Amis, which is about eight by eight feet, if it's less than 64 square feet, then it's not going to be enough. Okay, it has to be Dalad Amis to be considered a chash of a domain that we're not concerned. And Beis Hillel is more lenient. They say, no, Arba Tvachim. Four Tvachim. Four Tvachim is all you need. Four Tvachim is uh, 16 inches. That's, that's all you need, just a little, little square. Okay. Now, the Gemara wants to know like this. Again, Beishamah is more strict. They feel you need a bigger domain to be able to stand there. Beishamah is more lenient. It could be tiny. Now, here's the Shiloh. There's two ways to get into this pit. Again, you have, the, you have the cave, the catacomb, the actual kever. It opens to a pit. The pit, you're allowed to stand in if it's for Amis or for Tzvachim. The question is, how do you get in the pit? There were two ways that they used to get into the pit. One is you jump in. And one is that there's stairs to go into the pit. Now, out of the two, which is which should make it more? Which should make it better? The stairs, because the whole concern is you'll come to accidentally touch or accidentally put your hand over. If there's no steps and I got to jump in, it's likely I could jump in and stumble. And like, if there are steps, so it should be better if there are steps. So it says the Gemara. 
When is this true that there's a machloikis? How big the chatzar has to be to permit you to stand in it outside of the cave? The whole machloikis is when there's no steps and you got to jump in. If there are steps, if there are steps, everybody needs a, a bigger, bigger space. Let me, let me say that one more time. You'll tell me if that makes sense. If there are steps down, even though base Hillel is lenient, they're not lenient when there are steps. They're only lenient when you jump in. That doesn't make any sense. If you jump in, again, there's more of a likelihood. The whole concern, again, if you're if you're technically not over the dead body, you're just near the dead body, but not under the same roof, it's it's Doraisa not a problem. The rabbis extended it to Daladamas because they're afraid you might come to touch it or might come to put your hand over it. Says the Gemara, if there's a chotzer, if there's a, a, a space outside of the cave, it's fine. How big of a space? Beis Shammai says four Amis, Beis Hillel says four Tzvach, and they're much more lenient. Says the Gemara, Beis Hillel is only lenient when you jump in, but if you take steps down, even they're strict. It's the opposite. If you take steps down, there's less likely that you'll fall and put your hand in the cave. If you're jumping in, I think everyone should be strict, because you're jumping into the pit. Then, then uh, who knows what you'll touch? You'll fall in, you'll jump, you'll stumble. But if there's steps, it should be better. So says the Gemara, Klape Laya, Klape Laya means it's the opposite. Adarabah, it doesn't make sense. Minatzad, midrach menofik. When there are steps, you walk down nicely. Milmaila, but when you jump in, there's a very good chance that when you jump in, there's a very good chance that when you jump in, you'll uh, accidentally put your hand over it. So says the Gemara, you're right. The whole machloikis is when there are steps. But if there's no steps and you jump in, Arba Amis. There's Arba Amis, you need four Amis. And this whole leniency is because it's in a cave, so it's in a different domain. But if it's just a dead body out in the open, it goes four Amis in each direction. Now we just finished that again. No, no, back to the back to the um, back to the concept of being exempt from war. Two dots and then So we said that if you are Mekadish a woman, right, the, the halachas were that if you're Mekadish a woman, but you never uh, walked into the chuppah, right, so then you go to the front lines and then sent back. If you're Mekadish and you're in the middle of Shana Rishona, you don't even go. Fine. We said though also that it doesn't matter whether you're Mekadish a, a Basula, Mekadish an Almana, it's fine. The only times you're not exempt is if you're a Kayan marrying woman and not allowed to marry. Okay, so because it's a term the marriage we're not happy with, so why would we exempt you from war? And secondly, if you re, if you remarry your own ex-wife, right? If you remarry your ex-wife, there's not as much simcha. We're not going to exempt you. Obviously, talking about in a way that it's permitted, you could remarry your ex-wife when she didn't marry anyone else in between. Fine. So says the Gemara. Tanurabona Asha Eris. The pasuk says that you're exempt from war if you're Mekadish a woman. Echad Amaris is Absula. Echad Amaris is Almana. It doesn't matter whether she's a a Basula, whether Almana. Echad Shemaris Yavam. Or if you're waiting to do Yibam, because that's also considered engaged. As we said yesterday, let's say you have a brother that died, and you have five brothers that are going out to war. They don't know who's going to be do Yibam. They all go back. Because each one has a claim. Fine. The Pasuk says an extra hey when it says that you did not marry her. The Pasuk says that it's excluding something. What is it excluding? It's excluding a marriage that is against the Torah. If you marry, if an Almana marries a Kayan Gadol, he is not exempt from war. Why? Because it's not the type of marriage that we're happy with. So why would we exempt you? Let me ask you a question. 
Lema Masnisa and Deloiker of Yosei we have this kasha yesterday, but I'll clarify it again today. The, the end of the Amid, we're going to have a machlekes tanoim, when the Pasuk says that anyone that's fearful does not go out to war. Fearful of what? So Rav Akiva says, afraid of battle, afraid of dying. Pashit, any soldier who's, who's scared goes back. Rav Yaisi says, no, it's fear of sins. Meaning, if you have done Averis in the past, you're out. According to Rav Yaisi not sure, not necessarily. You could have someone that doesn't do averis, but he's just naturally af- afraid, timid, or his or his amuna level. He, you know, he doesn't do averis, but he doesn't. Uh, he can't handle the the clashing of the swords and all that stuff. So the question is like this: If Yaisi Aglili holds, according to Yaisi Aglili, the army are all tzaddikim. Yeah, according to Yaisi Aglili, if you do averis, you're exempt from war. That's st- statement number one. I just told you another statement, which is that if a, if a, a man marries a woman, he's not allowed to, marries a mamzeris, a almana marries a kain gadol, they go to war. Why should they be exempt? That's not the type of marriage we care about. Wait a minute. If an almana marries a kain gadol, he's a rasha. So he should be exempt anyway. You're telling me he's not exempt, he has to go to war, because that's not the type of marriage that we care about. Okay, but what about the fact that he didn't have era? Right? You have an Almana that marries a Kain Gadol or a man marries a Mamzeres, a Mamzeres and a Sin, all these things. These are all Isurim. So the Gemara says, how does Rav Yosei Glili reconcile this? According to Rav Yosei Glili, if you do an Avera, you're exempt from war. So they should be exempt. Forget about the marriage. They should be exempt because they did an Avera. You know what the answer is? Says the Gemara, The answer is, even Rav Yosei Glili will agree they go to war. Why? There's no Avera. The Avera of an Almana to a Kain Gadol is not the marriage. It's the living together. Meaning, a Kayin Gadol is 100% allowed to go over to a woman and say, There's no Isser. Zero Isser. The Isser is them living together. So therefore, the case of the Mishnah, he's allowed to Mekadish her. There's no Isser Kedushin. There's an Isser Bia. There's no Isser Kedushin. There's no Avera being done at the time of the marriage. The Avera is being done at night when they live together. So therefore, what's the case? The case is you have an Amana that marries a Kayin Gadol. And they go to war. Why? Because why should they exempt them from the marriage? I, they're Rishon. He says, no, they're not. They haven't lived together yet. So it's technically they did nothing wrong. So therefore, they're not a Russia. So you're not exempt because of that. I exempt them from their new marriage. Not exempt of that either. That's the case. It's a chap of Rabbah. Rabbah says the Avera is triggered. The Losase for all of these marriages is triggered, not by the Kedushin, meaning although it says Loyikach, which implies Kedushin, no, no, no. The Isser is actually triggered only when they actually live together. Uh, what's the Isser of marriage? The main Isser is the Bia. So although the Torah says don't make Kedushin, it doesn't mean the Kedushin is really Usser. It's the What's actually us is the living together. So therefore if an Almana marries a Kohen Gadol, they, just, they don't live together, but they just give the ring, have a chuppah, everyone's dancing, all these things. They didn't do anything wrong technically. So there's no Isser technically, and therefore they're not exempt because of Rav Yosei Aglili, and they're not going to be exempt because of the marriage. So they'll go to war. That's the Gemara says. Um, okay. The Apostle says, Asher Bona, if you build a new house, Asher Nata, you plant a new vineyard, Asher Eris, you marry a woman. Now, the order is, now obviously these are all exemptions from battle, but the Gemara points out that the order is build a house, plant a vineyard, get married. 
Why does it put the marriage last? I mean, whatever, it's, it, 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 they're unrelated, but why, are they, why is it put last? It says the Gemara, it's a side point. Lim de Torah The Torah is telling you the way is a good advice, which is, A person should not get married until they're financially solvent. Meaning, so, so, so you build a house, so you have a place to live. You get a vineyard, that's a job. Then you get married. The Gemara is telling you, you shouldn't, it does because if it put marriage first, that would imply that you should get married even if you have no house, to place to live, and you have no vineyard. The answer is no. House, vineyard, then you get married. That's the proper order. The Jewish Shlomo Melech even said this. And Shlomo Melech said this Pasuk. The Pasuk is, prepare your work. Prepare yourself in the field. So you got work, field. Then build your house, meaning... Then get married. Meaning, prepare your house. That's prepare your work outside. That means literally get a home. Prepare your fields. A kerem. That's a job. Then build a home. That's that's getting married. Okay. So that's the first pshat that there's a derecheretz that you have a job and then you get married. So the other pshat. Now the gemara is going to take this process of shleim amelach of telling you house, job, marriage. But instead of house, job, marriage, it's talking about learning. That when it comes to Torah, there's A, B, and C, right? So when it comes to marriage, it's A, get a house, B, get a job, C, get married. Now we're to, now the Gemara is actually going to have a different shot. The A, B, and C is all learning based. First, you learn Chumash. This should be a given, but it's actually not the way it's done. As you saw, they're better at this. In, in like America, kids just learn nothing until they go to high school. And then they just start Gemara. So <laughs> they don't like, it's not like you're proficient in Tanakh. And then you start learning Mishnahis. Kids just know nothing. But conceptually, Mikra. First, Tanakh. Okay. Then, Atta Basadlach is a Mishnah. Then, Mishnahis. Then, Acham Nisa Besach is a Gemara. Then, Gemara. So, Chomish, Mishnahis, then Gemara. That's the proper order. What is the reason that? Because kids don't want to learn. I think it is. No, the schools No, it's the same. The schools are doing the same thing as the show. They're just actually listening. You go into a sixth grade and try to get the kids to learn Tanakh. They're not learning anything. It's not like they're learning Gemara. They're not learning anything. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, they're technically learning a little bit, but they're not like they're not like a, like you go to like you know go to like parts of Yushalayim. The kids like you could tell them Tanakh. They know Tanakh. Dati Lumi and Charedi. I'm not even talking about one type. They all they know Tanakh. Hebrew helps, by the way. The language helps, and then they learn Mishnayis, and then they're proficient in Gemara. I don't know. But listen, this is what they should do. I can tell you that. Dabarach, another pshat. Hachem b'chutz ma'atech zemikra mishnah. Another pshat is, first you start Tanakh and Mishnayis. Then, v'atem sadach zemikra, then Gemara. Acha b'secha b'secha, e'lam aysim toim. Then you do chesed. Meaning, you can't, you can't have a kid who's not proficient in these stuff to start doing chesed. He's got to have a background. Then he could start being oysik in, in chesed. The last pshat is, of Gemara. First, it's Tanakh, the Mishnah, then Gemara. Then Chesed. Then you could start making drushes. Meaning, um, even when it comes to learning, you have to have learning under your belt. Then you have to be Isaac and Chesed. Then you could start making your own drushes and Chidushim and all these things. But first, you got to get the background of Torah and Chesed. Then you could be a, a Tamachacham who's darshaning his own stuff. Okay. Now, we said in the Mishnah, that if you knock down your house and rebuild it to the exact same dimensions, you don't go out to you don't you're not exempt because that's not a new house. That's the same thing. But says the Gemara Tana Im Haysef by Dimas Echad Chayzer. If you added one row of bricks, 
then, then you're exempt. Meaning, if you knock down the house and rebuild it, but you add a bathroom, you're exempt. As long as it's not the exact same dimensions, it's slightly bigger, new house. Okay. So then Lozer said that if you build a brick house in the Sharon area, you're, you're not exempt. Why? So I mentioned this in the mission, the Gemara speaks it out. Apparently the bricks of Sharon were crumbly, and you'd have to redo it twice every seven years. So the houses would only last about three and a half years. So because it's a temporary home, it's like one of these like, um, like caravan types of homes. They're not meant, they're not meant to last very long. That's not considered a new home to exempt you from war. Okay? But Elu Shein Zazim Then the Mishnah said, all these people that, again, didn't start living in the house yet, didn't get married yet, didn't, you go and then you're exempt. But if you're in the middle of living in your house for the first year, or if you're in the middle of Shana with your wife, or if you're in the middle of eating the vineyard for the first time for the, during the year, you don't even go out to the front lines. You're exempt Legamri. Not only are you exempt, you don't even do Sherit Lumi. You don't, do, you don't give out wine, water and, and drink to the soldiers. You're completely exempt from all communal responsibilities. Says the Gemara, Before we get there, the Gemara will explain. It says that if you marry a new wife, how do I know that's only true for a basula? How do I know to include that if you marry an almana or a grusha, a divorcee, or a widow? You're also exempt. The word isha is extra to tell you any type of wife. So what does it mean, isha chadasha? If isha implies any wife, then what does chadasha mean? Chadasha implies new. What does a new mean? If any woman is included, the answer is, chadasha implies that it's new to you. If you remarry your divorcee, it's not even new to you. She's not a new woman, meaning it's not her first marriage, and it's not your first marriage to her. So therefore, you're not exempt. Okay. Tanar Abanan. No, it's not. Word. It's not extra. It's that isha is a isha is inclusive. The word isha just means any woman. Chadasha we thought was minimizing. No, chadasha is just excluding remarrying your master grushasa. No, but you you have to have the word. Isha. Correct. It, I I misspoke. It's not that it's extra. It's that it's an inclusive word. Oh, okay. It's an inclusive word. I guess could have, it could have said besa or whatever. So isha just means any type of wife. Um, and Chadasha, we thought, was minimizing, it was only excluding the Masa Grishas. So, Tanar Abanan, then the Pasuk says, that if you started marrying your wife and you're in the middle of Rishona, then you don't go out to battle at all. You might think that they don't go out to battle, but they do Sheridumi. They don't do anything, they don't travel at all. Okay, so meaning, the only people that are completely exempt. I use Shane Lumi properly. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's, you understand what I mean? I mean to give out the to give out the water and the food to the soldiers and to fix the, all this. That the only people that are fully exempt are the people that started the Misa, which means they start they got married in the middle of Shana Rishana. But if you didn't get married yet, meaning you did Kedushin, but you're waiting to have the Chuppah, you go to the front lines and you leave, but you have to share Lumi. So the Gemara speaks this out. You might think that if you build a house and you didn't live in it. You you didn't marry her. You planted a vineyard, you didn't eat the eat the grapes yet. You might think that you don't have to do Sheir Lumi. No, the only people that are exempt from communal work are the first category. But these people are obligated to do Sheir Lumi. Okay? 
Now, the Pesach is saying that if a person, let's say, easy case, he's Mekadosh and Yishi, he gets married, he's middle Shana Rishayna, he doesn't go out to marry, he doesn't go out to the army because it says, he doesn't even do Sheher Lumi because it says, let me ask you a question. Once you tell me that you, it says, you don't have to do Sheher Lumi, I'm pretty sure you don't have to go to the army. Like if, if I'm exempt even from handing people water, I'm pretty sure I'm exempt to running out in battle. So the Gemara says, once you tell me I don't have to do any communal obligations, what do you need a puzzle to tell me I don't go out to battle? Of course I don't go out to battle. The answer is, Lava of Lavin. The answer is that if that person goes out to war, he's over two Lavin. One from layav or from the communal obligation, and You have to realize there were there are a lot of <laughs> not everyone is programmed like me. There are people that want to go out and fight and and like save you know the Jewish people. So there are people that want to do that. So there are you have to realize that when everyone is going out to battle, they had this in the forties in America, not by the Jews, but in America, in America, there were a lot of people that like they felt like a loyitzlach if they didn't go out to battle. It's partially because they didn't go out to battle. I think every single one of them once they went out to battle, they were like, okay, I'd rather go home, but. But, but there's like a, there's like a svara when everyone's going out. You don't want to be left with the women and children. Yeah, I'm saying so. So that so the so you have to understand the Torah is saying there's two lavim because the Torah is going against your psyche. There are a lot of people that want to go out to battle, and the Torah is saying absolutely not. Two lavim for going out. And these are uh, from the 613 mitzvahs. Correct, exactly. Now the I just want to clarify one thing. My father asked me this yesterday, and I mentioned it. It's going to be in the next Amid. This is all for what's called an optional battle. An optional battle basically means a preemptive war. A preemptive war, because my father made a good point. He's like, I don't understand. You're being attacked. The Jewish people are being attacked on all sides. And you have a Gachasin who's a very strong battle, a warrior, and he's like, well, I just got married. No, freaking go. This is only for a, a preemptive war. So they were deciding whether to go out to war. So they would look at the numbers and they'll be like, okay, well, we don't have them. A mechamis mitzvah, which is when Klai is being attacked, according to the Rambam. I mean, technically, mechamis mitzvah is definitely when they entered Israel, but the Rambam includes any time that Klai is being attacked. Like what's going on right now in Operation Something in Shield, is it um, uh, the current battle that's going on right now? Um, uh, something in Shield, I don't remember. But uh, th- th- this, this is a mechamis mitzvah. That's a Muhammad's mitzvah. Because once rockets are being shot into Eretz Yisrael, that's a Muhammad's mitzvah. In the times of the Beis HaMikdash, everyone would be obligated to go out to the front lines, and you wouldn't be exempted. I just want to clarify. These are exemptions from Muhammad's Rishos, not from Muhammad's mitzvah. Okay. Because it just doesn't make sense to tell you they're being attacked, and you can't use these people. It doesn't make sense. Yeah? Um, a little bit off topic. <clears throat> what if your year is up during the battle? That's a good child. Are you then I would probably assume that the second year year is up if the war is still ongoing. Right? If you have like one of these long wars, you know, the French and India, all these things, you'd probably have to go out there. Yeah. What happens if you get married in the middle of the war? I don't know. If they, <laughs> I don't, maybe they won't let you. <laughs> um, I don't know, that's a good child. So the Pasuk says, Okay, so now, the only thing, I mentioned this yesterday, the only thing that the generals would say and not the Mishul Muhammad was that anyone who's afraid... Go back. This is before they get to the front lines. This is actually, I just want to clarify this point. This is very, very important to know. They would speak twice, right? They would speak before they would go out to the front lines and at the front lines. Before they would speak out at the front line, before, when they're still by the camp, by the troops camp, before they go out to the front lines, you'd have the Mashuch Muhammad would say, anyone who just got married, go back. Anyone who just built a house, get back, pop, pop, pop. Then you'd have the generals would say, anyone who's afraid, go back. Then, and we'll define afraid of what? Fine. Then when they got to the front lines, the Meshulch Muhammad would say, um, don't be afraid, and Hashem's Shema Yisrael, Hashem's with you. Then the generals would say, um, <laughs> they actually wouldn't say this. 
they would put soldiers behind all the other soldiers with, with, with swords. Anyone that tried to leave, they would chop off their legs. There is no running back. There is no leaving. You have your time to leave. Once you're on the front lines, because the Gemara is going to explain the, 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 the worst thing for, for an army is a lack of confidence and, and a lack of morale and, and fear. Once, so if they start seeing some people running back, It'll create, so once, so this whole concept of you're afraid is before they get to the front lines. Once you're on the front lines, there is no turning back. If you turn back, you will be killed by the other soldiers. And by the way, probably halachically, they're probably a roidif, right? You're causing all the soldiers to be killed. It's a roidif. So they would chop off their legs. That's what the Misha says. The Yosher, the Jewish people, have not, they're not meek people. Like, what was it? Don't, don't, like, don't misunderstand our, our kindness for weakness. We're not weak people. Nowadays, okay, whatever. You learn Yeshua. You put, Yeshua put his foot on the neck of kings and chopped off the heads. The Yosher, Okay, so the Pasuk says that they would say before they go to the front lines, anyone who's afraid, go back. So what does it mean, afraid? So Rav Akiva, Oimer, Hayar, Rachalev, of Kimashmoi. Fear means simply put. He can't stand in battle and see a sword on Shi'ith, meaning he's afraid of fighting. Pashat fighting, he's afraid. No, nothing spiritual, physical, he's afraid. He goes back. Rav Yaisi says, no, someone who's afraid, it's someone who does Averis. If you do Averis, you're exempt. So by the way, also, Rav Yaisi says something amazing. Why is it that if you, if you it, it, think about it, it's an interesting thing. I said to you that if, you're, if you built a house but you didn't move in, You'd go to the front lines and then turn back. Was that why? Why would you do that? Just let them go. They walk and they have to turn back. They walk and they have to turn back. Says the Vayesay Gulili because one of the people that are turning back are the people that are afraid of sit because they're averis because they're not perfect. And if they would walk back alone, it would be embarrassing. So Hashem made it that the other people that are exempt also leave purely so that no one will know. They'll just see you walking back and they'll be like, oh, he probably planted a vineyard. They don't realize that you didn't have area yesterday. So it says, the reason why Hashem allows the other people to walk back, the sinner walks back with them. Yerivakiva says the one who's afraid is just afraid of war. So okay, whatever. I'm sure he'll be made fun of a little bit, but it's not embarrassing. Okay, but this, Rav Yosef is saying the people that were turning back were people that secretly did Averis. It's a bizarre for people that did Averis to have to walk back. Everyone knows, right? We had the Gemara recently that they, they, they shech the chatas and the oil in the same place because Hashem doesn't want people to have to be embarrassed. So that's why the people that had uh, just got married go back so that the people that sin go back with them. That's Rav Yosei So again, just very quickly, you have Rav Akiva who says that you're afraid of war. Rav Yosei is that you're afraid of, of, of Averis. Then you have Rav Yosei, not Rav Yosei Aglili. Rav Yosei, the other Rav Yosei who says, He says, you know, it's an, you know what you're afraid of? Uh, biblical Averis. What's an example? Someone uh, who marries a woman he's not supposed to marry. Now, by the way, Rav Yosei, is basically the same thing as Rav Yosei Aglili. He's saying that you're afraid of sinning. But he gives examples for the sin that are biblical Averis. So the Gemara is going to clarify, Rav Yosei is saying, fear is only biblical Averis. Rabbinic Averis, you don't have to be worried. Rav Yosei Haglili will say, anyone who does an Avera, even a rabbinic Avera, is exempt from war. Rav Yosei gives an example of a biblical Avera, saying only Isurim de Raisa exempt, you not Isurim de Rabbon. Fine. Once the, once the generals were done speaking, they would put people behind the soldiers. Meaning once they said, everyone turn back now, or forever hold your peace, they would put people behind. Why would they put people behind? The rear of the people. They would put station people in the front. 
That's to pick up the people that have fallen. And they will put people behind the army. And with iron axes in their hands. And anyone who wants to retreat, they have the permission, go to the next page, to chop off their thighs. Why? Beginning of flight is a downfall. It's actually written backwards. It should be the beginning of downfall is, is, is running. It says the beginning of running is a downfall. It means the beginning of the downfall of the army is running. Once there are some soldiers that are afraid and start running back, it creates a panic, and then and then uh, then then all help heck breaks loose. It's not not a good. Shnemar, nasi self The pasuk says this is regarding the 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 war that we lost with Eli Hakayin. That it says that the, there was bewilderment amongst the Jewish ranks, there was a fear, and then they lost the army. And they, they lost the war. Oh, so we said this, I spoke this out, that we said till now that there's a concept that you're exempt from battle. All these exemptions are for optional wars. But with obligatory wars, even the chasen and kala from the chupa have to go out to fight. Okay, now Amrav Yehuda b'med varmu mechamas mitzvah. Yeah, it sounds like two different things. Nah, it's also whatever the area, the chasen station, the badekin area. Amrav Yehuda b'med varmu mechamas mitzvah mechamas choyva afilu chasen mechadir kanu chupase. So Rav Yehuda and the Rabbanon are not arguing. It's just what the Rabbanan called Mechames HaRishos, he calls Mechames Mitzvah, as opposed to, he calls Mechames Mitzvah, and what they call Mitzvah, he calls Chova. In other words, the Gemara is going to clarify this, is this Machleikas of Yehud and the Rabbanan about whether the Rabbanan have Rishos and, 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 and Mitzvah, he has um, Chova and Mitzvah. It, it's not Negea exemption from war, it's Negea from HaOsik B'Mitzvah, Patam and Mitzvah. He defines certain wars as, um, he doesn't call them rishos, he calls them mitzvahs, not regarding exemption, but regarding osik b'mitzvah, patam and mitzvah. The Gemara will clarify. Ma'yika ben Rav Yossi haglili l'Rav Yossi. What's the difference between Rav Yossi haglili and Rav Yossi? They both feel that if you're afraid of Averis, you're exempt. So what's the difference? The difference is what type of Avera. Rav Yossi gave an example of an Avera that you're exempt. It was an Isidaraisa, which implies an Isidarabonon is not a reason to exempt you from battle. Rav Yossi haglili said any Avera, even an Isidarabonon. So according to Rav Yossi haglili, if a person does any Avera, even if it's rabbinic, you're exempt from war. So this next Gemara is a very, very famous line. Keman Azlaha The Braisa teaches Sach Bain Tfila Someone who speaks between Tfilin Shalyad and Tfilin Shal Roach, which is a rabbinic prohibition. Avera Biyada is a rabbinic prohibition. And it's a reason to exempt him from battle. So who offered that statement that a rabbinic prohibition is a reason to exempt you from battle? Keman, it's Kirav Yosi Aglili. If I was Rav Yosi Aglili, because according to Rav Yosi, you're only exempt from a biblical Avera, not from a rabbinic Avera. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Who's the one opinion in the Mishnah who says that if you're scared from battle, not Averis, just Pasha's scared, I mean, you get the, you get the uh, jitters, whatever, you're going to be exempt. That's Rav Akiva. He was the one who said So the Gemara says, Who's the author of the following Bryce? The Bryce says, If you hear trumpets and you start trembling, If you hear shields and you start to tremble, If you hear shields and you start you see swords, and you start to urinate. You know, like really, he's really scared. He's urinating on himself. 
Chayzer, he exe- he's exempt from war. So who is the author of this? So, Keman, it must be Leimah Revakiva, even Leimah Revakiva, it must be Revakiva, because Revakiva is the only one who says that fear is physical fear as opposed to Averis. So the Gemara says, no. The answer is like this. There are levels. Meaning, Revakiva is the one who says that if a person is a little afraid, he goes back. Revakiva doesn't believe in that. But, if you have a soldier that is so terrified that he is urinating on himself, it's visible fear where it's affecting the morale of the other soldiers, everybody agrees he's exempt. Meaning even Rav Yossi Haglili, who normally says exemption is due to sins, if you guys see guys urinating on himself, he's exempt too. Because it's going to affect the morale. Okay, the Gemara says, uh, we said in the Mishnah that the beginning of downfall is flight. But it was written, the beginning of flight is downfall. So it was written backwards. The Gemara says, It's written backwards. The answer is, you're right. Change the gears of the Mishnah. It means the beginning of the downfall of the army is, is, is flight, is running away. Okay. Uh, it's interesting. Have, I guess even worse than for some areas, but then you also have Safid So it's always hard to know. Like in certain areas, the rabbis treated more strict, stringently, and in certain areas, not. It's interesting. Now, I'm Rav Yochanan. So I, I said to you in the Mishnah, again, for exemption, you're exempted from Muhammad Harishus. You're not exempted from Muhammad's Mitzvah. Muhammad's Mitzvah is anytime you're attacked. Preemptive attacks is Muhammad Harishus. Then you have Rav Yehuda who says. Even preemptive attacks, he calls them mitzvah. He doesn't call them rishos. So I said when I did the Mishnah, it's not related exemption. Everyone agrees you're only exempt from battles if it's a mechamis or rishos. What was Rabbi Yehuda talking about? Rabbi Yehuda has a side machlaikis. He doesn't like calling it rishos. He calls it mitzvah as opposed to chova, but it's not related exemption. It's related a side machlaikis. And the Gemara clarifies. What the Rabbanon call rishos and chov, Rabbi Yehuda defines as mitzvah and chov. So everyone agrees regarding exemptions, there's no difference. What's their difference? The Gemara clarifies. It's only negeya, hosek be mitzvah, hatam and mitzvah. Meaning, to conquer Israel by Yehoshua, that's everyone agrees is a chov. And by the way, the Rambam clarifies anytime the Jewish people are attacked or surrounded is also a chov. Everybody agrees it's an obligation, you're not exempt from war, chas and kala go out from the chopah to go fight. Kala obviously not to fight, the kala is to do uh, some sort of sheir lumi things. When David HaMelech would just want to attack to get more money, Right, David Amel sometimes would do preemptive attack to get uh, money, slaves, you know, that type of thing. Divrei hakol rishus. Everyone agrees that that is an optional war. Uh, that's just to extend your battle. That's a, that's to extend your lines. That's an optional war, and everyone agrees that people are exempt. Kipligi, what's the machlekes? What if you have a preemptive war? This happens in an Eretz now. They preemptively strike Gaza, but not to get funds or not to get money or slaves. It's to weaken their infrastructure so that they can't attack you in the future. So right now you're not being attacked. It's in a preemptive attack, but it's to weaken their infrastructure so they don't attack you later. Everyone agrees it's considered an optional war regarding exemption. You're exempt because at the end of the day, they don't have to do it right now. 
But there's a machlek, Rabbi Yehuda calls it a mitzvah. What's a nafkamina? So the Gemara says, Markar in the mitzvah, Markar the shus, nafkamina, la isik mitzvah, patam in a mitzvah. The question is, are the soldiers that are isik in this preemptive war considered a mitzvah that isik mitzvah, patam in a mitzvah, they don't have to, they don't have to do uh, davin and other things if it's not pikuach nefesh. That's, that's the machlekes, Rabbi Yehuda and the Rabbanan, hajan Allah, mershuach, muhammad. Huh? Well, it's because Akhnavish once you start, but I guess when you're walking to the battle, you're, you're you know, Isaac in the Hachanas for the battle, that type of thing. Yeah, obviously, once you, the rockets are flying, it doesn't matter how you got there. You're, you're, in, it. you're in it now. Um, by the way, that was also part of the. Whatever. Okay, it's not for now. There's a, there's a teaching from Rev, Rev Cook as a whole, Shtikel Tar, that. Um, okay. Pikuach Nefesh is Daicha Kola Right? You can't do one thing to, to, you have to save a Jewish life. So Rav Cook has a tshuva where he says, I don't understand, how, how, is, a, how, is, a, how is a king allowed to go to Muhammad Arishos? Muhammad Arishos is to extend, is to get more, is to get more money. Extend the borders. Extend the borders, more land. I don't understand. Every time you go out to war, is there a chance someone's going to die? Of course. So, Pikuach Nefesh. Oh, I understand. So it says Rav Cook a biggie side. Pikuach Nefesh. There's one thing. And then there's a king has the right to go out to go out to war. That overrides, meaning part of the rights of the king is to go out to war. Going out to war means people are going to die. The laws of Bikul Khanafish don't necessarily apply. That's part of his rights is to go out to war, even though it does mean certain things. Now that doesn't mean you could be callous with human life, but as long as you're doing something which is perceived as normal within the army rules, that overrides Pikuach Nafish. It's a, a very negale halacha because you have all these, you know. Uh, okay, let's start. Let's just run through uh, a little bit. It's not that much longer. We're now dealing with Egla Arufa. Okay, Egla Arufa. Is this the last parak? It's the last parak. It's the last parak? It's the last, last parak. Right, ninth parak is the last parak? Yeah. So Egla Arufa is like this. If you find a dead body outside of a city, you measure to see which city it's closest to. You don't know who killed it. It was He was murdered, because the Pusik says that he was killed by a sharp object. So he was stabbed or killed. It didn't just like drop dead from uh, dehydration, whatever. He was killed outside of the city. You measure the Bezdin Agadu from Yishalayim would send representatives to measure to the closest city. They measure to the closest city. The Zakanim of that city go out to a, uh, to a plain, a plain area. They take an egla rufa, they take an egla, a young calf. They break, a, break its head open with an axe. And then as the blood streams, they say, we didn't kill this person. The mission deals with this. The statements of the elders has to be said in Lashon HaKodesh. As the Pasuk says, the elders and Shoftim go out. Now where in this Pasuk does it indicate it has to be Lashon HaKodesh? Nowhere, and the Gemara is going to ask that. Fine. No, no, it's not a carbon. This is just they would go out to an area that's uh, like a desert area outside of the city where there's no there's no uh, vegetation, and they would hit the back of the head with an axe. The pasuk says, By the way, I just realized probably why we do this. It's probably like I think all of our in- instincts is like, why would you kill an animal? That's the point. That's exactly the point. You should care about enough about a dead body. You should. Care. That's the point. It's to ma'ira you to have. You're gonna have. A, you know. What, very very quickly. It's just because I don't know. Shaluach uh, hakan, right? Sending away the mother bird. So if it's a mitzvah, it's a mitzvah. 
But if the, it's not b'makam mitzvah, you're not allowed to do it because you're causing the mother pain. So it's always very strange to people. Why would you cause the mother pain? Like, what, why is it the way of the Torah to send away the mother? That's painful. See, it says the Zara, you know what happens in Shemayim. In Shemayim, the malach over the birds says, why are they doing this, causing me pain? And you know what Hashem, and then Hashem instantly responds, you care about birds, what about Klal Yisrael that's going through suffering, Yaim and Valayla, that you don't care about? So being ma'orah rachamim on animals is itself, reminds you of how much more you have ma'orah It could be that's why they kill the calf. Because you kill the calf and you're like, oh, that's so sad. Peter's like, oh, that's so sad. It's a young animal. Why are you doing this? The answer is, a, a, a person died right there. You should, halavai, you should care much about the person. It's tomorrow you to care about the person that died outside the city, Mustama. To publicize the whole event. Exactly. And the point is, and naturally people care about animals, you'll start caring about people as well. Let's go back there. They would send, this is the procedure, they would send three members from the Bezan Agadushalim of the 71, the Bezan Agadu, to go measure. Rav Yudai Mechamesh, he says actually they would send five. Why five? Zikenecha, plurals two. Shaiftecha is two. That's four. Two plus two is four. You never have a bezdin of an even number. It has to be odd. A bezdin shakom, it always has to be an odd number. So once you have four, four turns into five. Nimsa, now, the halacha is, Egel Arufa only applies if it's killed with a sharp object in an open field. It's the technicalities of the Pasuk. Nimsa, Tamagal, if the dead body was covered by stones, or if he was found hanging from a tree, or if he's found floating on the water, there's no Agla Rufa. Technicality. It has to be exactly as the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says, you found the dead body on the ground, not covered. Noifel fell, fallen on the ground, they're not hanging. Basada on the field, not in the river. Okay. Additionally, it's only applied if it's found near a Jewish city. If you find the dead body near a Goyish city, then uh, I'll be honest with you, we know what happens. He was killed by Goyim, so it's, uh, you don't have to, there's no procedure. Nimsa Samach if you found the dead body near near uh, the border town, near the border town outside of Eretz Yisrael, meaning that it was the closest town was outside of Eretz Yisrael, was Goyim, or a town in Israel, but it's mostly Goyim, or a town that has no Bezdin, you orphan, there is an Agla Ruf in all those scenarios. And in Maidin Bezin, we only do Medida to the city that has a Bezin. Which the Gemara is going to ask, we just said that you, you don't do it if there's no Bezin. So of course you do it to a city that has a Bezin. The Gemara is going to clarify. Okay, just to finish up. The Mishnah said that it has to be Lashon HaKodesh. Shenemar v'yotzu zikanecha v'shoftecha. Where in the words Sheyatsu Zikanecha Vishaptech does it say Lashon HaKodesh? Where does it imply Lashon HaKodesh? So the Gemara says, My Kamer, how do you know that it's Lashon HaKodesh from that? So the Gemara says, This is what we meant to say. Amra Vahochi Kamer, Shenemar Vahonu Vahamru. It says the Zikanim, this is all not in the Mishnah, but this should be there. It says Vahonu Vahamru, the Zikanim Onu and Amru, which is the same Lashon we have by Har Grizim and Har Evil. Just like Hagriz Marevel's Lashon Akoidesh, so to Zer Shava, Eglaruf also has to be Lashon Akoidesh. And then the Mishnah, that's all supposed to be before the Mishnah. Now the Mishnah is then saying, And what's the procedure for Eglarufa? Etc. Okay, fine. Now, there's a machloikas, and we'll end with this. There's a machloikas, Rabbi Yehuda and, 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 and the Tanakama, how many members of the Sanhedrin Agadah will go out? The Tanakama says three, Rabbi Yehuda says five. What's the machloikas? This is all, it's, uh, it's very nitty-gritty psukhamoy, so we'll just do it fairly quickly. Tan Rabbanan, v'yotzu zekeinecha v'shoftecha. It says that the zekein, the elders and the judges go out. Zekeinecha ishnayim, because it's plural. Shoftecha ishnayim. 
plural, four, ain't bezdin shakul, maisif an alein echad, and you cannot have an even bezdin, so it has to be odd, so four becomes five. That's divrei Rav Yehuda, that's Rav Yehuda. Rav Shimon disagrees, he says, no, zikein echa is shnayim, zikein echa is two, that's it. Ain't bezdin shakul, maisif an echa, two becomes three. Now, he's, he doesn't darish in shoftecha, right? So the machlekes is whether you darish in the word shoftecha. I mean, this is just a repeat of the Mishnah. Correct, but now Rav Shimon's opinion. Oh. Rav Shimon's opinion is, Zekeinecha is two, and he can't have even, so it becomes odd. So what about Shoftecha? I, Rav Shimon, Nami Yaksif Shoftecha. What does Rav Shimon do with the word Shoftecha, which Rav Yehuda uses to tell you an additional two people? Rav Shimon says, Shoftecha tells you which type of elders, right? Elders just mean old men. How do you know that has to be the best in Agadah Shiv Shalayim that we go out to measure? Shoftecha is the Shoftim, the leaders of Klal Yisrael. Oh, Rav Yehuda, how does he know that it has to be the Bezdin Agadah? Because he uses Shoftecha to tell you an additional two. Rav Yehuda, Zikne Zikenecha Min Afka. He learns it out from the extra Chaf of Zikenecha, because it could say Zikne, which is two. Zikenecha is your elders, which implies like the elders. Rav Shimon, what does he do uh, with Zikonecha? Ikasar Achmanet, Rav Shimon says, I'll tell you like this. If it, if it just said Zikne, Hava Min Afilu Zikne B'Shok. Rav Yehuda says, this is the evolution. If it just said Zikne, I would say it means just any old dudes. It literally could be unlearned old men on the street. To tell you no, that it can't just be random guys. But Zikanecha on its own, Zikanecha just implies Rabbonim. Maybe they could be of a Bezdin of 23. Any random Bezdin. So therefore you need both. So Shoftecha is not extra to tell you an additional two. Rav Yehuda, so how does Rav Yehuda know? It's a good point. So how does Rav Yehuda use these words to tell you amounts and to tell you which Bezdin is? The answer is Rav Yehuda says, Zikne, 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 Eida. Malalan, Miyuchadim, Shebe, Eida, Afkan, Miyuchadim, Shebe, Eida. He says, I'll tell you why. You don't need a Pasuk to tell me. Rav Shimon says the word Zikne implies any old people in the street. Zikne, to tell you members of the Sanhedrin. Rav Yehuda says, no. It says the word Zikne regarding the Parhel and Davashil Tzibor, which is a sin offering of the community of Klal Yisrael, that the elders lean their hands. It says Zikne over there, it says Zikne over here. Just like over there, it's the Sanhedrin Agadol, so it's over here, Sanhedrin Agadol. So therefore, don't tell me that the word Zikne would imply any old people. Uh-uh. So let me ask you a question. So the Gemara says, Wait, wait a minute. If you're telling me that there's a Gzera Shava connecting the word Zikne over here to the word Zikne by Parhalm Davashel Tzibar, Parhalm Davashel Tzibar is who? Who does the leaning on the carbon? Sanhedrin Agadol. How many? According to our view, the five over there. It's a Sugin Sanhedrin, five. Over here, how many? Five. So what do you need the words Bechalal Zikne Echa Just... It should be a straight Gzair Shava. If you tell me this Gzair Shava, Zikne, Zikne, then, then what do you need the word Sheftech at all? So the answer is, forget the Zikne. No, 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 forget, forget, forget. Mm. Rather, this is the Pshat. Everyone agrees the following. If it just said Zikne, it would imply any old dudes. Zikanecha implies uh, members of Sanhedrin. Shoftecha is to tell you members of Sanhedrin Agodo. So how do you get to five? What's the Machloikas? Rav Shimon says Zikanecha is two. Rav Yudah says Zikanecha is two. So how do you get to five? The answer is the Vav. V'shoiftecha. The whole Machloikas is. The word Shoiftecha tells you Sanhedrin Agodol. The word Zikanecha tells you two. What's the Machloikas? The extra Vav. V'shoiftecha. Rav Yudah says V'shoiftecha means an additional two. Rav Shimon doesn't darsh in the Vav. Vav the Shoiftecha leminyan of Rav Shimon. Vav le Mashmalei. The answer. So that's the whole Machloikas. The whole Machloikas. Rav Yudah and the Rabbanon. 
And Rav Shimon is everyone agrees the word Shavtachas tell you Sanhedrin Agadol. Everyone agrees the Kanechas to tell you two. The Machlekes is what is Vish Shavtachah the extra vav. I will stop here. Good. Good job. You too. Have a good Shabbos. I'll see you. Uh, was it next week?